0: politically lost in translation welcome to the texas take the number one political podcast in the great state i'm scott braddock editor at QuorumReport.com, and here to break it all down for you is houston chronicle political writer jeremy wallace how are you
1: oh if we can get through these astros games Mm -hmm. you know if they don't go more than five hours i'm okay but it's when those some of those games go so late.
0: They do go late, but you know what? The Astros seem to be a late-night team. Yeah. It's really when it all happens, that the magic happens with the Houston Astros. So hopefully by the time we talk to our audience again next week, they'll be the world champions once again of Major League Baseball. I am excited for it. Um, I'm going to, you know, I might conspire to go to the, one of the games if they end up. Back in Houston, Monday, Tuesday, I probably shouldn't go into my personal plans, but I'm very excited about it. Glad they rallied and we've tied it. We have a a series now, right? So they're moving on to Atlanta. We'll see what happens tonight. More and more, Jeremy, I want to start with this more and more. I feel like I have to uh, translate Republicans to Democrats and vice versa. Because these people don't speak the same language at all. And there's always been a version of that for the entire time that I've covered politics for decades now. I know the same is true for you. But let me give you the example that sort of sets the tone for everything else we're going to talk about here on the show, just about everything else. Have you heard this phrase, let's go, Brandon? Yes. Do you know what it means? Not fully. Not, not really. Okay, let me let me break this down. So it's a chant. It's it's a uh, it's something you would chant at a football game. I mean, we mentioned the uh, Astros game. You might have uh, somebody chanting that at the Astros game. Let's go, Brandon. That kind of thing. What it means is it, the literal translation is, and I, I'm going to say the nice version because um, I'm uh, considered a role model for the youth of Texas. <laughs> yeah. so I'm not going to actually say the phrase, but you'll get to hear what what the phrase is. It means F Joe Biden. Okay. Um, let me explain. Here's Abbott and you remember he did this interview with Breitbart television. It was controversial enough because one it's with Breitbart TV and two, it was done on the 50 yard line at Darrell K Royal stadium at at the university of Texas at Austin. And, uh, one of the folks who works at Breitbart, Amanda house was asking the governor about this phrase. Let's go, Brandon. And the fact that at stadiums like that, at the UT stadium, you have all these people, conservative activists, who have been chanting this phrase, let's go, Brandon. In stadiums like this, all around the country, we're seeing a movement, the F Joe Biden movement. It's moving beyond stadiums
1: now. It's moving to other events. Why do you think it's becoming such a big deal? And why do you think it's resonating politically and culturally?
0: Yeah, let's go, Brandon.
1: Let's go, let's go, Brand. I can't stop saying it.
0: They can't stop saying it. Let's go, Brandon. What? Where did this come from? What is this? Oh, okay, you have to go down a rabbit hole on this with me. But more and more, the base of the Republican Party seems to be the Alex Jones party. So everything is sort of a conspiracy theory. Uh, in October, it was October second. Uh, at least that's when I saw the video uh, at the uh, racetrack in Talladega. It's like Talladega Nights. Uh, NASCAR driver Brandon Brown. Had just won a race, and, and people are already saying, probably, right, the people listening to this are saying, why are you talking about a NASCAR race? Okay, stay, stay with me. N- the, at the NASCAR race in Talladega, in Alabama, he had just won And he was doing an interview with a female reporter who's asking him about winning the race. And it's a typical sports interview. It's just, hey, you know, how do you feel after winning the race? And he's talking about how he wants to thank all of his partners, you know, the people who sponsor his car and things like that. And listen, as they're doing the interview, this reporter and this NASCAR driver, listen to the crowd in the background. what they're saying and listen to what the reporter says just sort of on the fly to try to figure out what they were saying because I'm not sure that she could really hear exactly what they were chanting but take a listen
2: thank you to all of our partners oh my god it's just such an unbelievable moment Brandon you also told me
3: as you can hear the chants from the the crowd let's go Brandon
0: let's go Brandon that's not at all what They were saying. Now, when she said that the crowd must be chanting, Let's Go, Brandon, because that's the guy she's interviewing, Brandon Brown, the conspiracy theories started online because, of course, there are folks who think that this reporter must be a liberal hack and she doesn't really want people to know that the crowd was chanting F. Joe Biden. Okay? But. I, I would give her the benefit of the doubt. I don't know that she could really tell what they were even saying. It would make sense for them to be saying, let's go, Brandon, because Brandon just won the race. But no, this has been happening at sporting events all over the place, Jeremy. People chanting F Joe Biden. These are all the same people. Or pretty much, I think the Venn diagram would be a perfect circle. The people who earlier had said that politics has no place in sports when the issue was racial inequality. Remember taking an E and all that? Same people are at sporting events saying... F. Joe Biden. And now they're saying (laughs) now they're saying you can't make it up. They're saying, let's go, Brandon, so that they can get away with it. It's sort of a code. Right. That Let's go. Brandon means it means F. Joe Biden. So why is it that all of you are repeating this, Governor? Uh,
3: Listen, it is happening because
0: of the disastrous policies that are implemented by Joe Biden.
3: Uh, people are angry people who come to these stadiums who want together and celebrate uh, a great American tradition like college football And you have Joe Biden trying to shut things down and shut people out and got Fauci saying you got to stay home until Christmas or whenever uh, And it's just ludicrous the policies that Joe Biden is advancing And so when people gather at stadiums uh, or maybe anywhere They're just angry about the Biden administration policies only part of it relates to COVID. Part of it is about the border. Part of it's about inflation. Part of it's about uh, the other catastrophic policies they're implementing. And so you see this rising anger across the entire United States.
0: Jeremy Abbott's campaign is even selling Christmas wrapping paper that says, let's go, Brandon. That That's the, that's the design that's on the paper. So I'm not um, exaggerating here to say that this has become a major campaign theme yeah. for Abbott and, and and listen, he said, let's go Brandon. It means F Joe Biden. So that, that thread runs through everything else that's going on with the Republican base right now. F Joe Biden. He has bad poll numbers in Texas and his poll numbers have been falling in other places for the president. Um, and you have Abbott who in some ways with the Republican base has been competing with Joe Biden for unpopularity over the last two years. Right. Let me give you an example. Remember in September, Tucker Carlson, Fox News Channel, one of their top rated hosts. He may be the top rated host now, maybe even more popular than Sean Hannity. I think they go back and forth in who's who's number one and two on the network. But remember, Carlson had gotten pretty angry with Abbott because the governor was refusing, at least as as far as Carlson had put it, he said that Abbott was refusing to come on the Tucker Carlson show and explain what was happening on the Texas border and what Abbott was going to do about it.
4: This has been going on for months, and we've asked Texas Governor Greg Abbott many times to come on this show to explain why he hasn't called the National Guard to seal the Texas border and protect the rest of us from this invasion. Greg Abbott has refused to come on repeatedly. So pretty soon, possibly tomorrow, we plan to invite his primary opponents on this show to describe what they would do if they ran Texas. That might be an interesting conversation. We'd like to give Governor Abbott one more chance to come on sincerely. Please, come on and tell us how you plan to save the rest of us from what is happening in your state.
0: It was not an empty threat. We did see Don Huffines appear on the uh, Tucker Carlson show to blast Greg Abbott and talk about what was happening with the border. At some point, Jeremy, I imagine that the PR folks for Governor Abbott were in a dead sprint for the phone to call Fox News Channel and get Carlson's producers on the line and say, when can we line up an interview? Well, that happened last night. And Abbott was on the air to exclusively talk about the border. That's everything that I saw uh, with him talking to Carlson. He talked about keeping immigrants out of the state. He talked about locking them up for criminal trespass if they do get in. He talked about the state building its own wall and all of that. And Carlson asked him, what kind of pushback is Abbott's administration getting from the Biden administration?
3: Listen, the Biden administration has been pushing back every step of the way. Among other things that I did, Tucker, I issued an order uh, preventing uh, any of the NGOs or other assistant aides in the state of Texas from transporting or moving any illegal immigrant within the state of Texas because of health care reasons, because of possible spread of COVID. The Biden administration sued me. They went to federal court. They got a federal court to rule that my executive order was unconstitutional. I will continue to act, however, but it just goes to show the level of pushback by the Biden administration, even trying to deny me to protect the health and safety of my fellow Texans.
0: So let's go, Brandon. Right. That's basically the answer there. is so let's go. Brandon F. Joe Biden is the answer to all of this stuff. It's already absurd enough. But why don't we just go ahead now and make stuff up out of whole cloth? Here's Tucker asking Abbott to wildly speculate about why Biden holds a different view than he does about the border.
4: What I, I have to ask you, since you deal with this every day, what do you think the Biden administration's motive is in throwing open our but, borders to the world?
3: It's clear kind of what you were talking about earlier. Joe Biden believes in open border policies, and his administration do, and they are tr- truly trying to redesign the United States of America and they, in, a, in a complete lawless way. They talked about this on the campaign trail when all the Democrats were on the same debate stage talking about quite literally, the socialistic policies they would employ in the United States, which mimic Ocasio-Cortez and her acolytes, uh, and they are acting out on all of those policies and promises they made during the campaign. That leaves it to the states now to step up and do everything we can to hold on to the United States of America until Republicans can regain control of Congress and the presidency.
0: Now what I remember about the promises on the campaign trail had to do with taking a more humane approach on the border than had been exercised under the Trump administration. And remember, Jeremy, a lot of Republicans had said, well, President Obama did a lot of these same things. So at the time, it seemed like Republicans and Democrats both agreed that maybe something different needed to happen on the border. All of that aside, nothing that Abbott said on on that show, actually matters as much as the response he got from Carlson, which was this.
4: Well, you're, you're certainly protecting the rest of us by doing this. Governor, we appreciate you coming on tonight. Thank you very much.
0: It, right. F Joe Biden, right? It, it, you know, keep, it, keep it going. Let's go, Brandon. <claps> Why is Abbott so all in on the border like this? Well, for some perspective, you watched an hour-and-a-half-long debate that was held in North Texas last night. And uh, interesting moderator for this debate of the GOP challengers to Abbott, right?
1: Yeah, Shelley Luther. Uh, if y'all oh, remember where have I
0: heard that name before? Yeah,
1: she's our, our our most famous hairdresser uh, uh, post-COVID-19.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. She was the one, folks will remember last year, who defied Greg Abbott's orders to shut down certain businesses, including barbershops and hair salons, uh, her salon was called uh, salon a la mode. And then you had Republican politicians flocking to her, uh, to her store to have their hair done, including Ted Cruz, who we will talk about coming up. So during this debate, there was a lot of focus on the border, right? And there was some just harsh words from Don Huffines and from Alan West and from Chad Prather. These are the three who are announced so far to, I guess, and pray is actually an announced candidate at this point. Right. I, it, there had been some question about that, I think. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, all three of those mm-hmm. guys are announced. But, you know, I, you know, obviously, people listening to this probably already know this. But, you know, qualifying for, to run for governor hasn't happened yet. You know, we're you know, oh, right. that starts right. November 13th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then we'll know who is really on the ballot and who's not. There's a bunch right. of other people who are running that haven't made it even onto to this stage. So who knows what we'll have by the time we get to primary day.
0: So you heard all the stuff that Abbott said to Tucker Carlson. This is the kind of thing that Abbott is reacting to. If you thought that what Abbott said was extreme, listen to Don Huffines. He says he's going to shut down every border crossing between Mexico and Texas.
5: The most significant thing I'm going to do, though, is that I'm never asking permission from the federal government to secure the Texas border. I'm going to use the entire Texas military, our National Guard, there's over 20,000 of them, we're going to secure the river. We're going to immediately deport anyone that gets across the river and take them back to the other side. We're going to close all 25 bridges over the river for inbound commercial traffic from Mexico. This is strategic. This isn't where the illegals are coming across, this is where all the commerce is coming across. We're doing $250 billion worth of trade with Mexico annually, Texas is. Until they secure their side of the river and take it back from the cartels, not one truck from Mexico is going to enter Texas.
0: You know, he acknowledged how much trade he would be (laughs) shutting down, how how harmful that would be to the economy. I remember he was on uh, WFAA television in Dallas earlier in the year, and the host of Inside Texas Politics, Jason Whiteley, had asked Huffines, well, wouldn't that do a lot of damage to the Texas economy? It would cost jobs uh, and you know, income for folks on this side of the border. And Huffines acknowledged it. He just said, well, yes, but we have to get serious about the border. It doesn't matter. In other words, the, the economic damage would be collateral damage as far as he's concerned. Now, if you think that's extreme, we we heard from Abbott and, and people would think maybe that's too much. Now you hear from Huffines and maybe you think, well, that's way too much. We're just going to shut down a whole section of the Texas economy. No, not to be outdone by any of them is former Texas GOP chairman, Alan West, another candidate who says he wants us to have troops on the border who do not hesitate to shoot at the people on the other side.
5: I've been in firefights before. You will not see the Mexican cartels firing across the border into the state of Texas and we telling our national guard that they can't fire back. They will know that we will shoot at them even
1: before they begin to fire at us.
0: Raucous applause there, Jeremy. I mean, this is exactly what that crowd wanted to hear, right?
1: Yeah, this is like the militarization of the border is what the goal is. You know, until Mm -hmm. we have, you know, as Huffine said, maybe 20,000 National Guards troop on the border. It's like, you know, it's easy to get lost in the numbers here, but like understand Governor Abbott just doubled the number of troops on the border to like almost twenty five hundred, I think, is what you know he was aiming for. And it's like to put twenty thousand troopers, troop, troops on the border, along with the state troopers, along with the border patrol, along with all the you know heavy equipment we have down there. There's a crowd of the Republican Party that that's what they want. They want to see a yeah. border that looks more like what you would you know you know think of with the Iron Curtain back in you know you know in the cold war they yep. want a border that looks like it's militarized and will make sure no- nobody comes across you know mm. at any cost you know including shutting down the commerce you know, forget about what that would do to our, the supermarkets of Texas. It's like if you ever go to a supermarket, you know, understand how many tomatoes are coming across from Mexico. We will have no tomatoes in the state of Texas if we mm-hmm. shut down all those legal ports of entry for trade with Mexico. Uh, yeah, our and- agriculture industry would be totally decimated.
0: Yes. Um, and to the, uh, uh, to the cost uh, and, and including the cost of human rights abuses, we have already heard uh, from attorneys who represent some of these uh, immigrants in South Texas uh, and others uh, who have talked about the fact that you have people being locked up for criminal trespass and the uh, due process rights of those people uh, being abused, just being uh, you know kept uh, in a jail and not even seeing a judge for a month. Uh, we have also seen accusations and the DPS denies this, but that uh, the DPS troopers had uh, rounded up some folks who were thought to be undocumented immigrants marched them to a place that was private property, put them on the private property. And then because they were on the private property, arrested them for criminal trespass was how they got away with arresting them. DPS says that that's not true, but this is the kind of thing that happens when you prioritize this and think about the fact on the, on the commerce piece of it, Jeremy, we have a North American free trade agreement and the new version of it that was uh, negotiated under President Trump's administration because of the Texas business community. Yeah. They were leading the charge on that. I mean, they basically wrote NAFTA in some offices in Houston and went and passed the thing in Washington. And then it worked with the folks in Mexico City uh, to, to create the trade that we have today, That having a trading partner. I mean, if you want to improve an economy, and, ha- and this is the bigger point I would make, if you want to improve the economy, and cut down on illegal immigration, what you do is you work to improve the economies across nations. Why is it that we don't see as much Mexican illegal immigration as we used to? Because of what I just said, because the economy has gotten so much better. In Mexico, what we see now is these people from other places coming up through yep. the Southern border, right? We saw this crisis with the Haitian immigrants. We have seen those from the, um, uh, from the Northern triangle countries as well, coming into this country because of how bad the economy there is uh, because they live basically, uh, in a narco state because they have, uh, you know, these drug cartels that are running things down there. If you improve the economy through the kinds of things that we've done before, then that kind of thing naturally stops if people why do people leave a place because they think where they're going is going to be better yeah right that's the i mean you have to think about um you know this is uh, basic stuff about immigration there are push and pull factors we've talked about this before push factors out of the northern triangle is that it, you, you feel like you live uh, in a place that's run by terrorists and you can't feed your family so you will make this dangerous trip all the way through Uh, you know, those South American countries up through Mexico and into the United States to try to create a better life for yourself and for your children. And to say that your policy prescription for any of this is to make economies worse on both sides of the border could not be more counterproductive
1: well and you see the extremities like you know it's a i I go back to uh you know trump's attorney general jeff sessions you know with the child separation policies and a lot Mm -hmm. of that internal email stuff we saw at that time period in which they intentionally were aiming to you know break up those families as kind of a deterrent as a you know to show the people coming that you you could lose your children by doing this and so like and so now you see this thing like well if we send this message that we have these you know you know national guard's troops with you know with the ability to fire into another country because of a suspected You know, cartel member. Again, don't ask me how a National Guardsman from Colleen, Texas is going to look over and go, oh, that must be a cartel guy. I'm going to shoot him. (laughs) It's like, I'm not sure what kind of like, uh, you know, international treaties we have to do something like that. But you see, like, that extreme, you know, that that extreme position Mm -hmm. on how intense that we have to be at the border really kind of goes back to Jeff Sessions and, you know, the Trump administration kind of putting in those first really extreme policies policies that they knew were extreme, but they thought could be deterrence. And so now we see Republicans as trying to go further and further and further down that line because there's a crowd, and you heard it in that clip, that applause for that. You know, they, mm-hmm. you will get Tucker Carlson to say good things if you say we're going to militarize you know, our Texas border and we're going to shoot the people and arrest them and whatever else. That brings out what... Like people who don't live on the border want to hear. It's like I always think about like you know those three candidates running that were on that stage are all Mm. from the Dallas Fort Worth area. Or in Mm. you know Prather's case, he's originally from New Jersey, but you you get this like here are these you know and even Alan West is from Georgia. You know it's like but you you know but it's all in Dallas Fort Worth. These aren't people who live in. You know, Laredo or San Antonio, or you know, even you know Houston. It's like it's a different kind of relationship with immigration that it's producing a much more, you know, uh, extreme kind of position. I think, and it's it's working for a crowd. You know, you look at like sure. watch if you listen to what Greg Abbott's done since April on the border, it feels like he's marching closer and closer to those positions that Huffines and West once seemed like they were on their own, you know, talking about.
4: Yeah, right.
0: I mean, if you eventually start to see Abbott say the same kinds of things, and he's, as you say, he's kind of marching in that direction, you'll know why, uh, because you listen to all this. It's always um, easier to inflame people about a topic when they don't know anything about it and have no experience about it in their own personal lives. Now, speaking of uh, F. Joe Biden, and let's go Brandon, you know who else has been saying that a lot, who, who has been pushing these ideas and who Abbott is sort of competing for attention with. I have heard a lot of comparisons between Abbott and Ron DeSantis in Florida. You have brought this up. And in 2024, they are both thought to be potential candidates for president. I have seen and heard and read some analysis of what's going on with Greg Abbott from national media where they will say, well, you know what? Abbott doesn't care anything about those guys you just heard from. He doesn't care about You know, Huffines, he doesn't care about uh, Alan West. I think that he does definitely because we've seen evidence and chronicled it here. Uh, You know, HoustonChronicle.com, QuorumReport.com, and here on the show. Uh, With uh, DeSantis, it's as if Abbott and he are in a competition to try to take more extreme positions and do it before the other guy does, right? Because they're sort of positioning ahead of 2024. And, uh, in this national analysis, what I saw was people, was these folks saying that it's really about DeSantis, that, that Abbott wants to get out ahead of DeSantis, you know, for the 2024, 20, uh, presidential race, um, DeSantis really putting a focus on something Abbott has talked about a lot as well, which is these vaccine mandates for employees of big companies, there are a lot of businesses in Texas and elsewhere that simply want to have their own policies on this. They don't, re- they don't really want the federal government telling them what to do, which you know Biden has said that they need to have a vaccine requirement. And they don't want Governor Abbott or DeSantis saying that they can't have a vaccine requirement at their place of business. This is what uh, DeSantis put out. It looks sort of like a, a television advertisement or a movie trailer. For this uh, for this position that he's taken on the freedom to not be vaccinated
3: we have a situation now unfortunately in our country where we have a federal government that is very much um, trying to use the heavy hand of government uh, to force uh, a lot of these injections
0: so desantis in this uh, deal is taking this hardline stance and correct me if i'm wrong jeremy was this the one that abbott actually got out ahead of desantis on
1: yeah, you know uh, they've been kind of like you know, Santos was talking about you know fighting the federal government and Biden's you know, order, but it was actually you know Abbott who went first and issued that order that said no, no, and you know no company in Texas uh, is allowed to require you know the vaccine mandates, uh, even though. Uh you know it, it you know the Biden administration had just told Texas you know employers that you know if you have a hundred or more employees, you would have to you know so you see that conflict and and I think in this case, Abbott got ahead of DeSantis at least for a second, right, you know, but not you know in this case, DeSantis is surging back ahead. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, the, these guys are doing this because the people who watch Fox News Channel and watch uh, other similar conservative media, the base of the Republican Party, have become, and I'll just say it, have become anti-vaccine. It's not just that they're against the mandates. There are so many of them who are anti-vaccine yeah. now, not all of them. I, I get that. There will be some people who will say, you know, you're wrong. We're just against the anybody telling us that we have to get the vaccine. Well, then why don't you go on and do it? Right. If you people will say that they know it may be the right decision, but they don't want the government telling them to do it. Uh, There are others who are just not going to get that vaccine. Now, Neil Cavuto is also on Fox News Channel like Tucker Carlson, but he has been one of those who is saying get the vaccine. And he's been pretty consistent about that. Well, he has gotten some pushback from his viewers on Fox, which you might imagine, and on his show Earlier this week, Cavuto and one of the other guys on there, they were reading the emails from uh, the viewers. And you can hear Cavuto kind of, he tries to laugh it off, but listen to the kinds of things that they're saying.
2: It's clear you've lost some weight with all this stuff. Good for you. But I'm not happy with less of you. I want none of you. I want you gone, dead, kaput. Finite, get it? Now take your two-bit advice, deep six it, and (laughs) you. That's uh, rather harsh, Neil, so... But I figured I'd relate that to you. For the Sopranos uh, prequel? Yes. It does sound kind of like that. Okay, now we got Vince. Uh, Vince tweets Hey guys, I bought a new car after being told it was the best. Then it blew up after I left the car lot. So now I'm begging everyone to please buy the same car. Sorry, I was just pretending to be Neil Cavuto, which I think is uh, being a little uh, sarcastic there in that last tweet. You think a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, yeah. a little bit. A little okay, bit, a little bit. I know you love that. Here's another tweet: Plitfact, fact bias. Neil Cavuto has been fully vaccinated for months and has been a vocal advocate about the safety and efficacy of COVID vaccines publicly and repeated out, repeatedly on air. This is not a new position for him, which is true, Neil. this no, is not a new position for him.
1: And you. that's kind of what we were stressing. In all seriousness, look, this is something from the very beginning. I've been saying that. I think the better part of valor is if you. Yeah, haven't been vaccinated, it be, might be a good idea for you to get vaccinated. I understand those for religious personal reasons don't want it, yeah. but I understand also the numbers that the more who do get vaccinated, the, the bigger the drop in, in cases
0: Yeah, how about that? And Jeremy, you're always keeping track of all of the numbers with uh, COVID. Where are we at just sort of generally at, at this point?
1: Well, we're about to, you know, click over to 70,000 deaths. So, you know, it's even like Begin any conversation on COVID. We have to remember Start with that. seventy thousand mm-hmm. Texans are going to have died from COVID nineteen, uh, and just the last couple of months have been particularly rough. You know, the number of you know just this month alone, I, I had it at about you know fifty five hundred people who have been reporting to have died uh, just in October. Uh, you know, again, some of those may be previous deaths that are just now being reported, but it's still shocking to see. You know, since October 1st, over 5,000 Texans are are gone because of COVID. Uh, The good news is that we're up to 64% of all Texans 12 and up are now fully vaccinated. Uh, It's still, (laughs) you know, a far cry from what we're seeing in some other states. If you go up into like places like New England, where, you know, 80 to 90% of people are vaccinated at this point. But here in Texas, we're sitting at 64. It's improvement, but... Who knows if it's right. enough movement to make sure we don't have more spikes down the road,
0: you know, and it, with uh, the leadership saying the things that they're saying about how we should just uh, basically tell the administration, F them, F Joe Biden. Let's go, Brandon. When it comes to vaccines and everything else, it, it gives a sense to the people who just don't want to get the vaccine that, they're, that they are right and they don't need to get it right that, that that it's fine and i think we probably don't have more selfishness in this country than we did before but what we do have is a lot of leadership which is just happy to say you're right to be selfish you you should do whatever you want on this
1: yeah well, the fact that trump got booed at that one alabama rally i think it was right. you know when he had said people should get vaccinated and they booed him you know it's just like the the guy who got vaccinated, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is like who's their president, who they're at the rally for. Even he doesn't have the ability now. And so you see more and more of the politicians, you know, it used to be Abbott, you know, frequently told you, you know, you know to go get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Now oh, he'll yeah. include that in somewhere and say the best way to fight COVID 19 is get vaccinated. But, you know, but he makes it clear it's only voluntary
0: ever, every time, right. Any tweet about it always says always voluntary. And this is at the same time when his own administration, the department of state health services, I saw just this week was putting out videos, information online saying, look, here are some of the real stories of people who have had their family members die of COVID. Please go get vaccinated is the message at the same time. He's telling Breitbart, what F Joe Biden about all of this stuff, this anger over vaccines, masks, and one other thing. Which is critical race theory, which we've covered here on the show. There was a big push in the legislature to ban quote critical race theory, which is such a bizarre another th- one of these things where you know if you if you talk to one side of the political ledger, they'll say what are those guys even talking about? Yeah. What, what are they all angry about? I, I have no idea. And then on the other side, on the on the more conservative side, they will wonder why you aren't just as mad as they are because what's being taught in our schools is that white kids should hate themselves. That's the short version of what these people would say. Um, not really happening that we can see anywhere. That There has been no evidence of that really, but people have been whipped up about this. Check this report out from CNBC where they sort of cataloged the kinds of things that are happening at school boards all over the country. It's happening here in Texas and elsewhere where parents are showing up mad about all the things I just said, and in some cases becoming violent or threatening violence. <laughs>
2: In school board meetings across the country, parents have been angry. I thought
4: to out today. They've been yelling. And we should take our kids and we should pull them out of school. Oh, f-
2: Flipping each other off. This week in Minnesota, parents fighting over a phone. One man's shirt getting ripped open. Police had to be called in.
0: Officers, please come to the room.
2: Now the National School Board's Association says they have had enough.
4: Actual threats in the parking lots and threatening letters, threats over social media, saying things like, we know where you
0: live. That last voice you heard there is Chip Slavin. He's the CEO at the National School Boards Association. They sent a letter to the Justice Department where Attorney General Merrick Garland turned around and asked the FBI to look into whether this is something the federal government ought to be concerned about. Now, he did not, and, and I read his memo top to bottom. He did not say that the FBI needed to look into domestic terrorism when it comes to these parents who are showing up at these school board meetings. But he did want to have law enforcement look at whether this is something that there should be a greater effort on, because we do see it all over the place. We, again, we've seen it here in Texas, people getting very angry about all this, threatening school board members. Now, not everything is a threat of violence. And of course, people have uh, freedom of speech. Nobody's saying that they don't. But Garland, the AG, was called before Congress, because this is what we do. We've got to have a hearing on all this. And everybody needs to make their speech and have their, uh, you know, have their moment at the hearing go viral, including Senator Ted Cruz, the very junior senator from Texas. He wanted to drill down on the school board incidents across the country. And he's asking the attorney general Garland uh, to help him figure out whether any of these really included violence or threats of violence or whether the National School Board Association is just making all this up.
5: How many incidents are cited in that memo?
0: I have to look back through the memo. I it. uh,
5: you don't know. How many of them were violent?
0: Again, the the general
5: report... How many of them were violent? Do you know? I don't know. You don't know. There's a reason you don't know. Because you didn't care, and nobody in your office cared to find out. I did a quick count just sitting here. During this hearing, I counted 20 incidents cited. Of the 20, 15 on their face are nonviolent. They involve things like insults. They involve a Nazi salute. That's one of the examples. My God, a parent did a Nazi salute at a school board because he thought the the, the policies were oppressive. General Garland is doing a Nazi salute at an elected official. Is that protected by the First Amendment? Yes, it is. Okay. Fifteen of the twenty on the face of it are not violent. They're not threats of violence. They're parents who are unhappy. Yet, miraculously, when you write a memo, the opening line of your memo... In recent months, there has been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence. You know what? You didn't look and nobody on your on your staff looked.
0: Now, I'm just doing simple math. You heard Senator Cruz say that he looked at these 20 incidents and 15 of them did not include any threat of violence or were not violent on their face. Uh, that would mean it's possible that at least five of them were, right? Right. Right. Uh, So. So if the attorney general says there's been a spike in incidents that could potentially be violent, nothing that Cruz said would make him wrong. Um, uh, Cruz and Garland then got into it about whether Garland was asking for an investigation of parents as domestic terrorists.
3: This
5: is a memo to the Federal Bureau of Investigations saying go investigate parents as domestic terrorists
0: that is not what the memo says at all it does it, not is
5: it, it what the letter says
0: that is not what is my,
5: it what the letter says
0: I don't care what the letter says. You don't care.
5: You said it was the basis of your memo. You testified under oath before the House of Representatives. The letter was the basis of your memo. Now you don't care about the letter?
0: The letter and public reports of violence and threats of violence. My memo says nothing about domestic terrorism, says nothing about parents committing any such things. Senator Cruz, who did not switch to decaf before the hearing, uh, screaming at Garland, you don't care about this letter anymore. What Garland was saying was he got a letter From the organization that represents school boards all across the country, and they have seen incidents all over the place where people are so mad that they're threatening violence in some cases, and they're worried about this, and they want law enforcement to be on alert about it. Uh, What Garland was saying is that that he himself did not obviously write the letter from the National School Boards Association, but what he did with it was tell the police right? If you heard about threats of violence, what would you do? You would call the police. And if you're the attorney general of the United States, the police that you call is the FBI. And then the FBI can look into it. Now you have all these conspiracy theorists who are out there saying things like this. And I heard this on a radio station in Houston just this week. Um, there, there is this conspiracy theory that the reason that if you go and testify at your local school board, that they make you write down your name and your address is so that the FBI will know where to go find you. Well, again, like we said about the border, if people don't know anything about something, it's easy to whip them up about it. It's always been the case that you have to let the school board know who you are and where you live if you're going to testify about something at the school board, right? That, that That's not new. These are people who are showing up at school board meetings for the very first time. They don't know anything about that. And so people are using the normal things that happen as, uh, you know, just as matter of course. I mean, if you are going to testify in front of the school board, one relevant piece of information is, do you live in the school district? Yeah, They would want to know that, right? Do you have kids in the school district? Um, Of course, anybody can go testify and they can write down any address that they want, right? Um, But this kind of thing is whipping people up. Let me give you another example. We have an attorney general candidate in Texas, Matt Krause, who is also a representative in the Texas House of Representatives, and he chairs the General Investigating Committee. What do you think they use the General Investigating Committee to do? Well, not what they used to use it for. Um, Did you know that in the last two legislative sessions, they took the word ethics out of the title of the committee? Because one of the things that they used to do with it is investigate their own, right? They, They used to investigate representatives in the house if they were accused of having done something wrong. But they they stripped that out of there. And so now they do some other things. And it's always been the case that they would look into agencies. Let's say, for example, and there was a big story about this. I think Jay Root, great reporter, of course, at the Houston Chronicle, had written a lot about it. Um, some potential uh, abuse of tax dollars by the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission, where they were taking some luxury trips and things like that. Um, the General Investigating Committee could look into those sorts of things and try to get the agency to answer questions about it and you know, do uh, what I would consider good government transparency efforts right they would they would go on those sorts of missions uh, but with this what krauss is asking he sent a letter to the Texas education agency and to some select school districts and i don't think he has revealed which school districts exactly he sent it to but he did point to specific districts around the state that have had some controversies that we've talked about here uh, regarding certain books and krauss attached a list of more than 800 books focused on the topics of race and sex. Does this all sound familiar? Now, You know, we have seen the legislature pass legislation having to do with transgender children in youth sports in Texas, cracking down on that in our UIL uh, competitions around the state uh, and this critical race theory issue, which is again, the way conservatives uh, have portrayed it. Some of them, not all have portrayed it, is that you have teachers in schools around the state telling white children that they should hate themselves because they're white. Uh, They should feel that they need to do more to combat racism, that if they're not anti-racist, then that makes them racist. In other words, if you're not doing something every single day to combat racism, then you are yourself a racist. Now, I look around the state and have not seen any reports of that being substantiated anywhere. There have been some allegations of it and we actually, I think in one case, we had um, a superintendent or a principal uh, at least step down temporarily because of these sorts of accusations we saw in the Katy school district, which you brought this up uh, on a recent show where they pulled uh, an event. They were going to have a children's book author come in and talk to the students. Instead, they're not doing that. Uh, If you look at this list of the books that Krauss is asking for, and again, it's extensive, but it's focused in on issues of race, issues of sexuality and gender identity and that sort of thing, the Texas State Teachers Association came out and said, this is a witch hunt. And there's nothing in Texas law that allows for lawmakers to go asking school districts, what books are in your libraries? What books are in your classrooms? Um, And provide that list for us and tell us who paid for these books and how many of these books are there? And how are these books referenced in different curriculum? And we do have a state board of education for a reason, and they have been in charge of curriculum, you know, for years and years, as, as we talked about previously, the legislature has been trying to seize more of that authority from the State Board of Education, which I, they can do constitutionally. But it has been the uh, the BOE, the SBOE's uh, uh, responsibility thus far. But this is because the legislature wants to be right smack dab in the middle of these culture wars, the things that are making people so angry and, you know, in conversations with Republican voters. I have heard people go on for 30 minutes without me. I can't even get a, a question in edgewise. I can't get in a word edgewise if I bring up the issue of CRT and critical race theory. People have been whipped into a frenzy about this by watching Tucker Carlson and watching other conservative media, where again all these white people are very concerned that you have all these people who don't look like them moving into their communities in the suburbs and other places. And they think that their communities are changing and these fights are playing out right in the place, which is closest to home, the government that's closest to home, which is the independent school district where they live. And they want to go have it out at the school board, Jeremy.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's like you said, it's it's those silos of information. Where are we getting our information from? We're so split up. You know, if, if all you do is get your news from MSNBC and all you, the other group does is get their news from, you know, Fox News, they come back with like, no ability to communicate with one another. They don't even know what the other one is talking about anymore. Uh, but right. it, it's gone way beyond those areas. We used to think that you know Fox and MSNBC were the were the the, the lines and the sand. But like as we've been showing throughout this podcast, we're talking about things like you know Breitbart, you know TV. We're talking about things that are you know Blaze TV, you know you know talking about Infowars. These types of things are now part of the ecosphere of. a a general Republican party to the point where governor Abbott is spending his time going to these going to Breitbart and asking for time with them so he can Mm -hmm. talk to them. It's like a decade ago, that would have been like insane. It's like, there's no way you would have had a two term Republican governor saying, please let me go on Breitbart, you know, and, and debate these issues. You know, it's like, but here we are, we're in a different era now where, uh, and, and, and I'll bring up this, too, as somebody who, like, I spent a lot of time covering politics in Florida and a lot of time covering politics in Texas, which makes me perfect to dissect what we're seeing in DeSantis versus Abbott. And there's one big thing that's different from them. You know, DeSantis came out of that far right and took out established establishment-type candidate and a guy mm-hmm. named Adam Putnam. The problem for Abbott is Abbott became an elected official like an Adam Putnam. You know, he had come from the establishment. Uh, he is the establishment by virtue of just being in office as long as he has been. So, like, he's in a different spot. He wants to be more where DeSantis is now because of today's Republican politics, and he's got to kind of shift over there. So that's why you see it's a little bit stranger now to for us to see Abbott, you know, reaching out to the Breitbart's. You right. know, where, where like in the past. Candidates like him would never have thought and never need to do that. But the warning is in places like Florida where DeSantis was able to run that type of media to defeat an establishment incumbent, Uh, basically an an incumbent. He wasn't really incumbent, but he uh, had been in the system for so Mm -hmm. long he may as well have been.
0: Deeply entrenched. uh, And as you say, uh, uh, an outlet like Breitbart previously would have been beneath the office of the governor of Texas. Right. They would never have have talked to those folks. You know, I think one of the consequences and this is not a uh, blame thing. This is just, I think, a big shift in our politics. And I think it starts with uh, President Obama, honestly, on what I'm about to say, which is that you don't wait your turn for running for office for, for high office anymore, right? It, it would have been at the time in 2008, Hillary Clinton, it would have been, uh, you know, in the estimation of a lot of people, it would be her turn to be the Democratic nominee for president. Here comes this guy out of nowhere, meteoric rise. He gave the uh, keynote address at the 2004 um, yeah. um, DNC at the Democratic National Convention where he talked about the red states and the blue states. And instead he was like, no, 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 it's the United States of America. And he sort of leapfrogs over everyone else in the Democratic Party. Out of all the millions of people who are Democrats in this country, this guy who just a few years earlier had been a state senator in Illinois was president of the United States. Well, it sort of set this – it got rid of the expectation. set a new expectation that you can run straight for the highest office. And then what do we get? The next person has never been in office before, right? The next thing you get is Trump and then you had people like Ted Cruz and others well you know Cruz he you know ran for senate basically to run for president and a lot of people complain he doesn't really represent texas he represent he, he, when i type out his name sometimes i type ted cruz or ted cruz <laughs> because he, that's what he's representing he's getting ready to run for president again on this question of the books in schools just some breaking news here from taylor goldenstein at houstonchronicle.com She writes, the Austin School District, one of the largest in the state, will not comply with a request from the Republican leader of the Texas House General Investigating Committee to confirm whether it carries certain books in its libraries. Jason Stanford is the district spokesman, and he said, after doing more legal research, we've decided that a response is not necessary, especially since anyone can search our library catalogs. So I guess we may see candidates for high office in texas going to libraries at schools oh, around the state checking it'd be so to
1: see nice to have a bunch of candidates well running for offices going to the library for a while <laughs>
0: you know that actually isn't a bad idea go do some have some reading time guys yeah. i'd like i'd like to see that um, big big thing that we want to mention before we go here is that uh, the u.s supreme court is moving quickly on the uh, abortion law in Texas, the new abortion law, SB eight. And I, this was kind of surprising to people, Jeremy, that earlier in the year on September 1st, when this law took effect, uh, it was allowed to take effect by the Supreme court, which had been asked by plaintiffs to at least put it on hold while questions of its constitutionality could be settled out in the courts, the high court declined to do that. But then suddenly here in the last few days, they announced that they would hear arguments on November 1st on Monday as to whether the Biden administration can even intervene in this case. And as we have talked about here, the law is constructed in such a way that is unique in the, in the entire country. There's not another one exactly like it that allows for basically civilian enforcement, uh, allowing just anybody to sue abortion providers and others who quote unquote aid or abet uh, abortions. Part of that is thought to be a way to evade court review. Because as we talked about here, um, it would have to be that you'd have several cases play out first before you'd have plaintiffs who could show that they had seen real damage from the law. And I know that that framing is frustrating to some people, but legally it may be the case. Now, in the meantime, some women in Texas are doing some things that folks might think would be extreme or things that they should not have to do uh, in response to what is going on now because the law is still in effect, as I mentioned. So you do have women doing things like stocking up on abortion medications. This is Angela Vega, who lives in Austin. She spoke to KVU television reporter, Pamela Combe.
5: We now have to add this extra thing to our arsenal of having Plan plan C. So having a, a self-managed abortion medications um, in, in our medicine cabinet.
4: After answering a
0: questionnaire online without a doctor consultation, a prescription was created and sent to a pharmacy in India. Vega thought it'd be best to order extra. Now she has three prescriptions of mifepristone and misoprostol. Pills that when taken together end to pregnancy.
5: For a woman, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, who is in need and needs these pills and doesn't have two weeks to wait, or doesn't have the 105 or $200 to get these sort of pills.
0: Uh, excellent reporting there from Pamela Com at a uh, And what we, you know, what she was getting at uh, also in the report is the fact that there was another bill that was passed in one of the special sessions that deals with those abortion medications, right? That, that they have cracked down on that as well. But Jeremy, what we're hearing from women, like uh, the one she interviewed here in Austin, they don't care. They said, look, I, I, they said, I'm going to, and maybe, and some women saying, I don't even need an abortion. I'm looking out for other women who may need, a, need an abortion. And the law is now restricting what uh, folks can do. And we have seen already uh, reports that there has been a great decrease in the number of abortions that are happening in Texas. That doesn't necessarily mean those abortions are not happening. Yeah,
1: exactly. In, in a lot
0: of cases, it just means they're not happening at a clinic. Right. And that means that the woman's life is probably more in danger. Let's say she goes to across the border to Mexico, where, you know, Alan West would have her be shot, I guess, if she tried to come back into the country. I'm not making light of that. I mean, this is how, you know, this is the the environment we're in. Right. That people are, you know, saying these things, Um, but they may also be happening in other states. Right. The numbers that would be reported in Texas. Wouldn't be reported if a woman drove three hours to Shreveport from Dallas, right? Yep. Or if she drove from Dallas to uh, to Oklahoma, which for the moment, I guess Oklahoma is more progressive than Texas. I like to say that, uh, you know, and remind people that Oklahoma is the only state in the country where every single county voted to put Sarah Palin one heartbeat away from the presidency. They're pretty, They're pretty conservative in Oklahoma, but even they don't have a law quite like this, right? And so we have seen real-world consequences of this. And when it comes to the abortion issue, I think a lot of the political chattering class will immediately say, well, look what happened in 2014. You had Wendy Davis, whose major organizing principle in her campaign against Greg Abbott at the time was a sweeping abortion law. And she lost that race by 21 points. But as we have pointed out here, the law that was passed then and the law that's been passed now are almost not even the same universe, right? The The one that was passed in 2013, we were talking about how wide hallways had to be in clinics, that they had to be ambulatory surgical center standards for those clinics. And that was intended to shut down clinics and it did have that effect, but it's not the same as a six week ban on abortion, which we have now in Texas. And when do you really get backlash from women all over the place um, when it comes to this issue? Women who might not have had a problem with some of the laws that were passed before, right? There's a lot of women who would say they're pro-life or that they're Republicans, or they might nuance it by saying, you know, I would prefer that people choose life. There are a lot of of people who would say that. Um, But now when you say you can't do it, all of a sudden, you've got even some Republican women who are rolling their eyes at this thing, not happy about this thing and it's not just the abortion issue it's all of the other things that were passed by the legislature that some of those same people would say i don't like this and that would include things like constitutional carry that would include things like the ban on the transgender children in sports and a lot of things that people just see as hateful but on this case uh, with the abortion issue it's restrictive of things that they can uh, do in their own lives and it, it's really um, it's really eye level stuff at this point it's not it's not philosophical it's not just some argument about what happens to other people it's about me right for a lot of these women they're thinking now this is about me we have seen reports across the state that women who ended up at those clinics in other states were told to their face you can't get an abortion here and jeremy that changes the whole dynamic
1: oh yeah absolutely it's taken on a whole new level remember there's no exception in this law for anything There's no exception for rape or incest. There's nothing, and so any woman of reproductive age, you know, it's like this law really is directly about them, you know. So and and now the question is, what happens to that until Republicans lose elections on a statewide level? If Governor Mm -hmm. Abbott were to lose reelection that would change the entire dynamic on this conversation but until that happens republicans you know know they can go as far as they possibly can take themselves because that's what again those crowds on the far right are wanting them to do go as, as far as you can and until there's a marker that says no there's a point where you can go too far it's like hmm. we just haven't hit that yet in texas shockingly you know it's like we actually can go too far still and until the democrats can find a way to get you know some electoral success on a statewide level mm-hmm. why would the republicans say no okay well let's not go there no just yeah. keep going as far as you can until it's proven you have to change
0: right in in uh, in a political sense the only uh, thing that would tell an office holder they went too far is they lose Exactly right. When Richard became that, governor, this doesn't it told, work. Yeah. It
1: told the Republicans, "Okay, we have got to be different." In what we're talking about, right?
0: Well, and you know, I would I would add to that a little bit of nuance, which is that every election matters, right? It's not that uh, Republicans lost uh, statewide offices in 2018, but they uh, came close to losing those races statewide, and they also actually did lose races down ballot, right? There were 12 new Democrats in the Texas House. Two new democrats in the texas senate two congressional districts flipped from republican to democratic in dfw and in houston and then what did we get in the in the uh 2017 legislative session there was all this uh culture war stuff it was the bathroom bill session and all of that you saw democrats start to really get some electoral gains in that next cycle and then by 2019 what was the legislative session about it was focused on just, you know, the, the bread and butter issues, it was property taxes and school finance. And so they didn't want to talk about anything else. Right. And so to get some, uh, electoral consequence for Republicans, even in their down ballot races has an impact on the agenda. Yeah. But as I would say it this way, as long as the only election of consequence in this state is the Republican primary, then the voices that matter are the ones you heard earlier in the podcast. What yeah. are they worried about? Alan West, Don Huffines, going on about shutting down the economy in the state and shooting people across the border because they don't like the administration's border policies and they don't think Abbott's going far enough either.
1: Yeah, and there's one super important number to to think about right now, 78. That's how many days there are until the first ballots go out in the Republican primary. So between now and these next 78 days, this is going to get more intense. You know, like what you heard at that you know rally or in that called a debate, what yeah. you heard in that, we're just going to hear that more and more. You know, it's like we're going to get everything pushed to the x- levels. You know, and, you know again until those ballots you know start going out, it's like this is the uh, the primary is the game in Texas still. You right. know, you've said it a number of times on this show. This is still a primary state until it proves otherwise.
0: Right. Well, and where is the alarm bill? From the Democrats, if you think about it, just try to be dispassionate. Um, think from a political strategist standpoint, and and when you when you look up political strategist on uh, Wikipedia, the picture that comes up is a psychopath. So, <laughs> the point is the point is they're able to detach from all of this emotion and say, okay, what is it we need to do to win? Right. That the, the whole point is how do you if you're playing golf, how do you get the ball in the hole? Right. Where do you shoot? And so on this. If you're Abbott and his team, and today there is not even a Democrat announced running against you, the only political threat you would perceive is from your right. It's not from the left. It's not even from the middle. It's only from the right. And I think the dynamic has the potential to change if there is a credible candidate on the Democratic side who's also coming at Abbott, because one thing we have seen for sure is Abbott will do 180s on all these issues as soon as he thinks that he's in a position that's untenable for him politically. Is that enough show?
1: That feels like it. Oh
0: man, that's enough show. Yes, (laughs) but we will keep an eye on what's happening with the Supreme Court on Monday. Those arguments are going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, on the uh, abortion case, as SB8 has heard there, uh, and the issues surrounding SB8. So you'll want to keep your browser pointed straight at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com. If you like this show, well, you should be a subscriber. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you do that, when we have the show here next week, it'll just automatically show up on whatever device you listen to the show on, and we'll talk to you then.